Psalm 139. It's pretty well exactly halfway through our Bibles. O Lord, you have searched me and you know me. You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. You hem me in, behind and before. You have laid your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. Where can I go from your spirit? Where can I flee from your presence? If I go up to the heavens, you are there. If I make my bed in the depths, you are there. If I rise on the wings of the dawn, if I settle on the far side of the sea, even there your hand will guide me, your right hand will hold me fast. If I say, surely the darkness will hide me and the light become night around me, even the darkness will not be dark to you. The night will shine like the day, for darkness is as light to you. For you created my inmost being. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God! How vast is the sum of them! Were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. When I awake, I am still with you. If only you would slay the wicked, O God, away from me, you bloodthirsty men. They speak of you with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, O Lord, and abhor those who rise up against you? I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Praise be to God for his word. Well, let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray this morning that your spirit will dig deep into our hearts today. As we look at this topic, what's in our hearts, Lord? In Jesus' name, Amen. Well, friends, this morning, let me begin with this question. What's in your heart? What's in your heart? Think about it for a moment. Just imagine if someone was to look into your heart and mine right now, what will they see? If someone was to examine our thoughts right now, what will they see? What will they know? Perhaps you've looked at your, your wristwatch just now or your phone and you've seen, oh, the time's nearly ten past eleven. How long is the sermon going to go on? Will I get in time for my roast pork or beef or whatever it is? How long is this guy going to speak? Will I survive this morning? Will I fall asleep? To know. Think about it for a moment. That's the question I want to pose to you this morning. This morning as we continue to work our way through some of the Psalms. And this 
morning I want to zoom in. We want to zoom in on uh, Psalm 139, verses 23 and 24. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me, and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. It's a very serious question. It's a very serious prayer that the psalmist here is praying. It is something that is so personal, so profound, and yet so important in our growth, in our understanding of who God is, in our coming to our understanding of who we are in the presence of God, and what it means to be a child of the true and living God. I think this is such an important text here this morning. It deals with the very fundamentals of our relationship, of the vital relationship that you and I have with our God. If you have one this morning, if you don't, then my prayer is today that in this message, through this service, you will come to know this Jesus. So before we look at the, the text here this morning, let me give you a brief background of the psalm. Uh, psalm 139 is a wisdom psalm. By this, I mean it is a psalm that gives and spells out wisdom in terms of life, in terms of who God is, as we will see in a moment. It is an intensely personal psalm. It is a psalm that was written by David. And this psalm communicates, I believe, a rich theology of who our God is. If you look at the psalm in its totality. In fact, Dr. Montgomery Boyce in his commentary says this, Psalm 139 as both head and heart. It is strongly theological, dealing with, with such important doctrines as God's omniscience, omnipresence, and omnipotence. I'll explain that in a moment. But it is also wonderfully personal because it speaks of these attributes of God in ways that impact the psalmist and ourselves. The word omni means all. And so this beautiful poetic song divides itself into, I believe, four stanzas. Verses 1 to 6 is praise to God because he is omniscient. By that I mean he is all-knowing. That's what the word omniscience means. He is all-knowing. Verses 7 to 12 is praise to God because he is omnipresent. He is everywhere present. There is no place in this world that our God is not present. There is no thing in this world that our God does not know. And verses 13 to 18 is praise to God because he is omnipotent. That is, he is all Powerful. No one, nothing or anything can be compared to the power of our God. Do you believe that? He's an all-powerful God. You see, sometimes we live our lives here on earth and we put on our TV sets and sometimes we've discussed this as a family. We don't want to watch the first few uh, minutes of the, of, of the news items. It's like somebody has been killed or this is happening or somebody has been stabbed or king hits. All kinds of things takes, uh, are, are the first few items on the, on the news. And we look at the world scene and we ask what is happening. And we look at the, 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 the scariness of the Ebola virus and ask where is God? 
the, the, the crisis in the Middle East. See, is God in control? Yes, He is all powerful. We need to remember that. And so the occasion for the writing of this psalm is unknown. What we see here is David is reflecting, I believe, on the all-comprehensiveness of God. His character, his attributes, specifically in those three areas. And so in our text this morning, Psalm 139, 23 and 24, David calls on God to search him and to know him intently. If you look at the psalm, it's kind of challenging as well because uh, in, in verses 19 to 22, you look at it and you think, what is going on? How could David react like this? If only you, God, if, I trust you keep your Bibles open, please, to Psalm 139. If, if only you, God, would slay the wicked away from me, you who are bloodthirsty. They, they speak of you with, with evil intent. Your adversaries misuse your name. Do I not hate those who hate you, Lord? Abber those who are in rebellion against you. I have nothing but hatred for them. I count them my enemies. You, you look at this and think, wow. What's going on in David's life? We are supposed to love our enemies. We are supposed to care for them. We are supposed to pray for our enemies. This side of David's life. What's going on here? And then immediately there's a transition. Immediately there's a transition. 23-24. And the transition is David's moving from just saying, I hate these enemies. Now God, you better search my heart. Because I've just made this statement. I've looked at the world. I've looked at those who hate you. But Lord, now look at me. Because I am also one in need of your grace. And he says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. And see if there is any offensive way in me. And lead me in a way everlasting. What did David ask God to do? I I think there are four things here. He says, search me. Know me. The second one. Correct me is the third one. And the fourth one is direct me. The four things. Search me. Know me. Correct me. Direct me. Search me, O God. You see, now when we speak of the heart... Uh, We are not speaking here of the heart as the physical organ that pumps the blood and keeps beating so that we can live. Uh, My mother was at Monash Hospital these last two days and I picked her up uh, only yesterday. Uh, She had an angiogram done on her heart. You know, she's uh, an amazing miracle. She's alive. She had five quadruple bypasses, heart valve repair and everything else. And uh, I spoke to the cardiologist who gave me a call on, on, on Friday night. Uh, it's a lovely Christian man. And we had a chat about this. And he said, look, this is what's going on in the heart and so forth. And he said, something amazing is taking place as well, Chris. A new artery is being formed as well. It's going to help bypass all the other stuff that's been done. Go, oh, okay. <laughs> and uh, the, the heart, the human heart is quite an amazing organism, isn't it? It just works. It keeps pumping. Imagine if it, if it misses a beat. I mean, we'll be panicking here. So, the heart, you see, the, the, the physical heart is an, is an amazing mechanism. It keeps us alive. But what is in view here is not the physical heart, the organ that keeps us alive. What is in view here is the spiritual heart, that invisible soul, the inner being, the very essence of us. 
And David is, as it were, putting a spiritual heart under a spiritual ECG. Anyone been here for an ECG? Too embarrassed to raise your hands, don't worry, but I'll do it. I've been there. All those, oh man, those things go all over your body and sitting there and thinking, what is happening? And the needle keeps going. My heart is working, right? It's pumping, it's good, I'm alive. God is, uh, see, my, my GP is quite good. He's a nice guy. He knows I'm a pastor. He always talks to me about stress in ministry. He's not a Christian man. He says, Chris, I want you every year to go for an ECG. And now he's asked me to go for a stress test. Oh. <laughs> Get on that machine and put those things on and do it. Anyway, he sends us for an ECG and he just gives me a good, rep- I'm very thankful God has given good health. And one waits with some degree of anxiety and trepidation to see if everything is okay. The ECG is fine, everything, the blood pressure is good, cholesterol levels is low, everything else. Now David, you see David, in one sense, is putting his heart under the spiritual surgery of God. And he's saying, God, search me, put my heart under the spiritual ECG. And let the machine do its work, and that is, let you do your work, God, and see the false here in my spiritual heart. Search me. Uh, the Hebrew word there is an interesting word. It means to investigate. It means to examine thoroughly, to dig and to see and to investigate and to find out what is going on. Now, you see, David knows that God knows him pretty well. Why would he say to God, search me? Why, why would he say that? Doesn't God know what's going on in your hearts? Does he not know that? Tell me. Uh, he's scared. <laughs> does he not know? Of course he does, right? He does know that. He does know what goes on in, in my life. And yours, and, and, so, and so why would David say this? He says, God, you, you know me, you know me, because you know why? You, for you created, look, look at verses 13 to 16. For you created my inmost being, you knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful, I know that full well. My frame was, was not hidden from you when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. You see, the word used here for create conveys the idea that from our conception, we are God's creation. See, David sees that this is the creative work of God in putting him together in his mother's womb. All mothers here this morning, I think you are such a privileged people to be able to carry and give birth to a child. Isn't it? To be able to see that baby moving in your, in your womb, kicking. You think, wow, what have I got here in my womb here? An active baby moving around. The womb. You see, David says here, the womb is a secret place. David sees this amazing work of God in putting him together in his mother's womb, beginning nine months before he was born. You see, the womb is called the secret place. 
when I was made in the secret place, when I was woven together in the depths of the earth and the, and, and the depths of that place. The womb is a secret place that is hidden to the natural eye, but it is not hidden from God's sight. And David sees this amazing work of God in putting him together. Here lies a fetus. It is not some kind of tissue to be disposed of. Here lies a baby. In the womb is an individual knit together by God himself. And David sees that God knit him just like a skilled artisan would weave a tapestry together. This is what God's word tells us about how God is involved in the process with the formation of human life. It, it, it puts us together. Now I know some of the ladies here, you love knitting, right? Any ladies love knitting? You go to knitting clubs and weaving places. And I see sometimes when you go on the train, there's ladies sitting in front of you, older ladies. I haven't seen so many young people. But it doesn't matter, I better be careful. Anyway, they take their needles and they keep knitting away there, right? And do their work. Beautiful work when it's all completed. And I'm sure that after you've done all the hard work of knitting, it must be a real joy to see the finished product. In our home, we have a beautiful wall hanging that was knitted by Rose. Uh, when she was, uh, I think, in, in, in Holland. And it, it's a lovely tapestry. A beautiful work. And she told me that it's taken her days to put it together. You see, David similarly sees himself as God's tapestry. He sees his life, and indeed we can say all of life is a handiwork of the tapestry of God. See, human beings made in the image of God at every stage of life. I'll tell you this. Yesterday, I was at the Monash Hospital. I parked the car there to pick up my mom. In front of me was a big Kia van. It came in and parked there. It blocked my entrance, my exit. So I'm sitting there. And then they take out this wheelchair. And I'm thinking to myself, why are you parked there and taking out the wheelchair? Surely you're blocking all the traffic. And I said to Sean, what do you think is going on here? And then they take the next thing out. And then they take something else out. And then, then, you know, God taught me a lesson yesterday. And the parents, the parents, they took out their child, their daughter, like this, carried her, and put her on that chair, and showed love. And I said to Sean, here am I, impatient Chris Sirivira, a sinner, worried about two, three minutes that he stuck behind the car. When I saw that, my heart melted, and Sean and myself said, God... God has taught us a lesson today, hasn't he? And there was love. And I I waved to the Father and I said, Good work. You see, God does not make junk. He makes people. Every human being. See, that's life, you see. See, God has made us in his image. For example, I'm going to quickly go through this. He's made us mankind in our image. This is what Genesis 1, 26 and, and 27 says. So God created mankind in his own image. Dr. Aziz Proud says creation in the image of God is what sets humans apart from all creatures. The stamp of the image and the likeness of God connects God and mankind uniquely. 
Though there is no biblical warrant for seeing man as godlike, there is a high dignity associated with this unique relationship to the Creator. And so as God's image bearers, we are all equal in His sight, in dignity and value. Human life is precious. As His image bearers, we are all made to glorify and to magnify the one who has created us. That's what David is saying here. We are creatures. We are finite, dependent and derived. And David says, I will praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts. How vast is the sum of them. You see, this is the all-powerful work of God. The omnipotence of God in full display. And this David now cries out. And he says, search me now, God. You know me. You know what is going on deep inside of me. Others may not see it, but because you put me together, you know my DNA, you know my emotions, you know my thoughts, you know how I click. You know what's going on. Search me. Not my neighbor. If you're married... Well, God, I think you need to search my wife. Oh, she is a man. Or if you, the other way around, your wife will say, oh, God, you need to search my husband's heart. He needs a lot of work. Search him out, God. You see what I'm saying? Search me. Search me. Not my neighbor, not anyone else. David says here in this psalm, Search me, O God, and know... Know me, know me, test me and know my anxious thoughts. He goes further, isn't it? He wants God to test his heart as well. You see, the word test there is to scrutinize, is to try, scrutinize my heart. What does he want God to know? What does, what does God already does not know about David? He wants God to know what is inside his heart. And I was thinking about this as I was preparing this talk. You know, David wants God to know him internally. And not just externally. It is a spiritual heart that is in view here. And the heart is the source of some of the things that either pleases God or displeases Him. For in Proverbs we read this, As water reflects the face, so one's life reflects the heart. See, the heart is the source of all things. It's the determining factor. For out of the heart flows both evil and goodness. And David says to God, test and know my anxious thoughts. Why? Because you are all knowing. Verses 1 to 6, you can read that. Speaks about the all-knowingness of God. He's omniscient. How comforting, friends, this morning to know that God who made us knows what is going on inside of us. There are times in our lives, I don't know about you, there are times in my own life, there are struggles that I have faced that I don't even understand myself. I have struggled, I'm sure you do as well, trying to understand who you are. <laughs> Your own struggles are enough to confuse you. I think about young people today who are growing up. The conflicting messages that they're hearing from everyone else. For teenagers, for our young teenage children. You see, they are precious. I mean, every child is precious. But think about the struggles that they're going through. The whole confusion of who they are, what am I doing here, why am I here, what's my, what's my value, what's my identity, why can't I be like, uh, I don't know, you put, put yourself there. 
the idols of this world perhaps. Why can't I be like so and so? Why can't I be this? Why can't I be that? Why am I me? You know, the inner struggles and the confusion of thoughts and heart and the struggles. I think even adults go through that. Aren't you sometimes confused yourself? You look at deep in your heart and say, man, what's going on here? The struggles. God knows it. And he cries and he tears. You see, sometimes, friends, we, we, we feel as if we are crumbling and our world is falling apart. And, he, and, and God knows the deep pain. He knows the inner tears we silently cry at times. And how comforting. When, you're a, uh, when you've lost a loved one or you're, you're a widower or a widower, how comforting it must be to know that God knows your pain, your suffering, your tears. Knows it. So be assured that God knows every detail in our lives, even the innermost issues of our minds. We're like an open book before Him, he knows what's going on. So don't battle it all alone. Lay whatever the battle or concern may be that is burdening you, lay it before God and ask God to know your heart, your thoughts, and let God deal with it. This is why Peter says, and I re- we commenced the service this morning by reading 1 Peter chapter 5 verse 7. What's the text? We memorized it. Come on. Anyone? Cast. I'll give you the, I'll give you the start. Cast all. Okay. <laughs> Cast all that anxiety upon him because he cares for whom? For me. That's what it is. And David marvels at how God knows everything. He says in verse 6, such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. You see, God's knowledge is beyond the human comprehension. It is the knowledge that belongs to him alone. A.W. Tozer, the great writer, said this, God has never learned from anyone. He doesn't have to go to school. God cannot learn. Could God at any time or in any manner receive into his mind knowledge he did not possess... And as not possessed from eternity, he would be imperfect and less. Did we see that? His knowledge is perfect. Hebrews tells us this. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. As we move on, friends, the psalmist says, correct me, search me. Verse 24, see if there is any offensive way in me. Pleads that God to reveal to him anything that is offensive in his life, anything that is grievous. In other words, he's saying, correct me. Put the spotlight on anything that is grievous in my life, anything that offends you. Listen to what Jeremiah says in Jeremiah 17. The heart is, let's read it together. The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind to give every man according to his ways, according to the fruit of his deeds. Say, listen to what Jesus says about the heart. But the things that come out of the mouth Come from the heart, and these make a man unclean, for out of the heart comes evil thoughts, murder, adultery, sexual immorality, theft, false testimony, slander. These are what make a man unclean. You see, out of the heart comes these things. Why? Because the heart has got a sickness. It's got a sickness that is called sin. 
And it must come under the spiritual surgery of God, the spiritual cardiologist, who must do his work on the heart. You see that? How about you this morning, friends? Matthew Envy commented on the heart, says this, There is wickedness in our heart which we ourselves are not aware of and do not suspect they are there. It does not take much to be selfish, to be impatient like I was yesterday, to be angry, to be irritable, to be jealous of someone, to be envious, to gossip, to slander, to whisper. Did you know that? Did you really? The little can become a big thing when it's not properly controlled, right? Lots of arguments have happened because of the... So just watch. It doesn't take much, does it? The, to, to hold hatred against someone. You speak to someone nicely. Oh, it's nice to see you this morning. Go home and man, you just cut the person off. See him next time. Great, how are you? So, I mean, w- w- you uh, I'm not saying to you, it's my heart as well. I've told you that. It's a pretense thing, you know. That only God can soon see it. And then we keep moving. It says, lead on. Lead me. Lead me, Lord. It's, it's, if there's any of, uh, offensive way, it's confession here. There's a confession of sin before God. It says, take it away and lead me in the way everlasting. Lead me in the everlasting way. That is, lead me in the path of life, the path of holiness. Lead me in your ways because I can't hide from you. The point is, we cannot run away from God. Just like Jonah couldn't run away from God. We cannot run away from God. Look at the text there, 7 to 11. The omnipresence of God is everywhere. You can't hide from God. See, Jeremiah 6.16 says this. This is what the Lord says. Stand at the crossroads and look. Ask for the ancient paths. Ask where the good way is and walk in it. And you will find a rest for your souls. But you said we will not walk in it. See, friends, this morning... Are your, uh, are our hearts, not just yours, I put mine as well. How about us this morning? How is your heart before God? How is mine? Are our hearts right with God? Is there anything offensive in your life and mine that I need to repent of? That I need to ask God for forgiveness? Is there something in your life that is not right with God this morning? Do you see this? Do you see how important this is? See, we can tend to want to deny the rawness and reality of our own feelings, especially the darkness within our own hearts. And so, most importantly, we are compelled to deal with God as He is, not as we wish He was. You see, these two verses, friends, in this psalm that we have looked at this morning takes us deep into our own hearts, I think, thousand times faster than we would ever go if left to ourselves. It is faster than any broadband network. You see, there's been a lot of debate about metadata, right? These last few days. (laughs) Think about the metadata that God knows (laughs) in your heart and mind. It doesn't get erased in two years. He knows every call we made, every, every internet site we visited. He knows every word I've spoken. He knows every thought I've thought. He doesn't need the metadata computer system to maintain it. He's the perfect technician. <laughs> He's the perfect cardiologist. 
spiritually and physically as well. He's everything. All the sin, all the ugliness of the heart can only be dealt by God alone. And as this psalm brings us to a point of showing us to, that, that, that there are two ways to live. I think that's what it comes to here. The everlasting way or the offensive way. Psalm 24. Who may ascend the, the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The, the one who has clean hands and a pure heart. David prayed, Psalm 51, Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. See, who of us here this morning can claim to have a pure heart? Perfect! None of us can. There is only one way that our hearts are cleansed and renewed along the way of life. There was only one who had a pure heart. We read this morning from Hebrews chapter 9, and I don't have time to expound that this morning. But Hebrews chapter 9 is a fantastic, fantastic chapter of the high priest work of Jesus Christ. You ever read of it? It's amazing. You see, Jesus did not enter by means of the blood of goats and calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all. How? By his own blood, thus obtaining eternal redemption. You see, it is only in Jesus, the sinless son, that we stand before the holy God who knows all things. And how much more, uh, the, the author says in 9.14, that will the blood of Christ through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from the acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. Is your heart, has it been touched by Christ? Have you been cleansed by the blood of Jesus? Has Christ changed your heart? You see? Has he changed your heart? Is he changing our hearts? See, it is in Christ that we need to see our offenses against God and others. Because only then we will realize how much we sin against God and others. And how much the amazing grace of our God is. That he covers all my sin. And he takes this ugly, filthy, spiritual heart, closes it by its blood, and he says, it's made pure, Chris. Not because of your works, not because of who you are. It's made pure by my blood. All your sin is gone and is presented holy to the Father. What a blessing, eh? What a blessing. So, this morning, as we close, is Jesus your Savior? See, in Jesus there is grace. In Him there is forgiveness. In Jesus Christ alone our hearts are cleansed by His bloodshed on the cross. Have we been to Jesus for His cleansing power? Are we washed in the blood of the Lamb? See, it is when we repent of our sin and trust Jesus as our Savior that we can stand before the Holy God this morning, are you fully trusting in Jesus Christ alone and his grace? What is, what's in your heart this morning? What's in my heart this morning? See, God knows our hearts. He knows because he's omniscient. He's all-powerful, he's omnipotent. He's all-present, he's omnipresent. Thank God that there is a Redeemer, Jesus, God's Son.
the one who has done everything for us. That we may rejoice and go out from this place saying, Lord, I thank you that you've changed my heart and keep on changing my heart that I might love you and honor you and serve you the rest of my life. That's grace. Is it not? Right? There is a Redeemer. Let's pray.